Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Please Drink Responsibly, a drinker's guide to American history. I'm Lisa Wiley, self-professed alco historian and your host. Today, I'm drinking in San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas. We're going to talk about Michelada, Texas Lone Star Beer, and why the hell we need to remember the Alamo, because I did forget. But first... We're gonna talk about something that desperately needs our attention. Did you know that 30 states, including California, allow drive-through liquor stores? I didn't even know you could get drive-through liquor in California. It's true though. Apparently even San Diego has some and I lived there, you guys, for 30 years. So family, this is research. We're checking this out as soon as I get home because I'm definitely going. I love drive-thrus. If I could drive through to get a freaking mammogram or my teeth cleaned, I'm pretty sure I would. I'm just that lazy. I've seen plenty traveling and I'm always amazed at drive-through liquor stores. It's so loosey-goosey. And it seems super unreal, but it seems convenient. Last week I talked all about the Cuddy Bang in San Francisco. It's a Ziploc with booze and mixers inside and a separate solo cup with ice. I said this is by no means legal, but that's not technically true. It is legal if you take those items onto private property, your home, and consume them. Mixing a drink outside the liquor store and consuming it is illegal. Also mixing it in your car to consume in your car is obviously illegal. But if you're taking it home, why do you need the solo cup? Wink, wink. Not the proprietor's problem, huh? Legal. So since we're covering San Antonio today, consumption on the streets is illegal. It's also illegal in your car. But why are there drive through bars in San Antonio? A lot of them. This needs my ALCO investigation, and I'm on it. According to the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, if you obtain a wine and beer retailer's permit, you will be able to sell margaritas or daiquiris that are made with wine or beer, and you can sell them for consumption on or off the premises. This is the only legal way anyone can sell margaritas or daiquiris for takeout or to go. The drinks cannot be made with tequila or rum or any distilled spirit. The drinks do not have to be in sealed containers to be taken out of the establishment. However, the container does need to be sealed if the customer takes it into their car. A person cannot possess an open container in a passenger area of a motor vehicle that is located on a public highway, regardless of whether the vehicle is being operated or is stopped so the drive through bars that I found advertised in San Antonio are serving daiquiris and margaritas, and they're making them from a flavorless wine base, then flavored to taste like rum, tequila, or other liquor. Ugh. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I'll, I'll give it a try when I'm there. I'm not so sure that it'll be amazing. I'll give it a thorough inspection like the dive and vice committee in our last episode. Did you hear about the sealed container if you take it in your vehicle? Yeah, they seal it in a Ziploc. (laughs) Again with the Ziplocs. And then they give it to you right in your car. What you do after that is your violation. Knock yourself out. (laughs) The most popular drive-through bar in San Antonio is a chain of establishments called Beer and All. This place has 61 different frozen mixed drinks that you can order right to your car. They also have beer and wine. The employees are women 
dressed like Hooters girls, basically, in short shorts. It also serves micheladas, which were designed by heaven just for me. So I will be going there next time I go. Because wine flavored to taste like rum seems kind of gross to me, but I'll drink a michelada any day. We'll throw the recipe in this podcast later, after something tragic happens. Which it will, because this is American history. San Antonio? I went spent spent a birthday there with some tour mates at a bar called Bonds 007. It was a heavy metal bar, which from the name you wouldn't think. But it was a great night. I drank a whole pitcher of beer and then wobbled to my hotel around the corner. I'm pretty sure that was my 42nd birthday. It was awesome. Carol Burnett was born in San Antonio. Both her parents were alcoholics, so she was raised by her grandmother, who was the reason behind the famous ear tug at the end of the show. She would tug her ear to say goodnight to her grandma. So sweet. And if you haven't seen her show, it is really funny. Check it out. San Antonio's history begins with the Payaya Indians. And then in 1691, Spanish explorers landed there, claimed the land, and renamed the place San Antonio after St. Anthony of Padua. And then they left again for 20 years. In 1718, the Spaniards finally came back because the French were scoping the area from French Louisiana. So they felt like they needed to get there muy rápido instead of a mission. The Franciscans came and set up Misión de San Antonio de Valero and Misión de San Antonio de Bexar. They were pretty close together. Mission Valero later became the Alamo. And we'll talk about that soon. Through the late 1700s and early 1800s, San Antonio grew to be the biggest Spanish settlement in Texas and the capital of the province of Tejas and was still the capital of Tejas when Texas became Mexico. We know from previous forays into Alco history that Texas, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, and part of Colorado were all Spain and then Mexico. By the late 1700s, the missions were closed and deserted. And then Texas only belonged to Mexico for 15 years, but Mexico fought to keep it really hard. And that's why we remember the Alamo. Real quick, the old Mission Valero had been converted into a military fort and by 1836 had been captured by the Texian army, leading the cause of Texas independence. That's what they called themselves, Texians. And they were both of Mexican, Spanish descent and Anglo descent. But their main mission was to not be Mexico and not be the United States because of slaves. Mexico was getting really upset with the amount of settlers coming to Tejas, specifically because they were coming and bringing in their damn slaves. Slavery was absolutely outlawed in Mexico. Texas really only started getting them when the Anglos brought them across the Mississippi. In 1823, Mexico banned the sale and purchase of slaves, and children of slaves had to be free on their 14th birthday. Mexico welcomed and offered citizenship to freed slaves, including the right to own land. In 1827, slavery in Mexican territories was abolished, but the Anglos more or less ignored that which infuriated the Mexican government. 
the settlers just kept coming, as illegals, and bringing their damn slaves. Texas went ahead and declared itself independent in 1836. And the Mexican government basically laughed, didn't recognize them as sovereign, and sent troops. These troops were led by a man with the longest name I've ever heard. You ready? Antonio de Padua Maria Severino Lopez de Santa Ana y Perez de Lebron. <laughs> Damn. I thought 1930s gangsters had a lot of names. That's a lot of names. History pretty much just calls him General Santa Ana. The people of Texas kept running the Mexican troops right out of town. And so Santa Ana was sent with 1,500 troops. And this is why people say, remember the Alamo. Mexico sent all these troops to the old Mission Valero and laid, laid siege against it. Now, the mission, the Alamo, only had 200 people inside. Those 200 people held off the Mexican army for two weeks. Eventually, though, the fort was scaled and the Spanish killed everyone present, except for a few people, and they said that that was only so they could tell everyone else what happened. Remember the Alamo was the battle cry in response to the slaughter at the Alamo. Texas, or Texians, remember they called themselves, raised a force of 900 men, enraged by the Alamo. They had the Battle of San Jacinto, and they defeated the Mexican army in 18 minutes, leading to Mexico's retreat, the capture of General Santa Ana, and it made Texas de facto independent. So now we remember the Alamo, because I had forgotten. So between the Alamo and San Jacinto, that left 1,100 men dead. I think that's tragic enough for a drink recipe. The Michelada. In California, we, we drink these all the time. They're, in my opinion, about the best thing that could ever freaking happen. A michelada is a beer with tomato and lime juice and chile. Like so many things from Mexico, there are a million regional recipes. And San Antonio loves them as much as I do. The legend of the michelada goes back to 1910, during the Mexican Revolution. General Don Augusto Michel at his favorite cantina in central Mexico, ordered a beer, and then he put lime juice and hot sauce in it. Chilada, I guess, was a shortened slang version of chela helada, which means cold beer. So, General Michel's chelada. How about that? I'm choosing to believe it. And choosing to drink them. San Antonio hosts Michelada Madness, a competition for the best michelada in San Antonio. Camarón Pelado restaurant has been the winner two years running. They're on Commerce Street in San Antonio. Honey, write that down. I can't get their secret recipe, but I make mine with half beer, half tomato juice, a teaspoon of Cholula hot sauce, or tapatillo, and a healthy couple shakes of black pepper. And then I squeeze a lime wedge into it. Some people add tahine to the rim, which is a Mexican spice mix that you should invest in because it's awesome. In soups or on melons and on corn. Mm. <laughs> I'm going home to California tomorrow. I'm so excited. Okay, now that we've covered Michelada, more history. 
We left San Antonio and Texas trying to be its own country, mostly over the slavery issue. The United States wanted nothing to do with Texas at this time because they had started a war with Mexico and because it would tip the balance of American slaveholding states. Since the population of the United States was spreading so quickly into the West, the slavery question needed to be resolved before more states were created. And Texas had a bunch of slaves. The Republic of Texas officially brought back slavery and they were not allowed to become a, a state for almost 10 years because of it. Also, their sovereignty was not really going well. Being their own slaveholding country was not as easy as they had hoped. And they had pretty well pissed off Mexico, so they were still fighting over the land. They wanted to be annexed as a part of the United States so we could bail them out financially and help them clean up the mess with Mexico. But since they were holding slaves, and had angered Mexico to the point of war, the US government wasn't allowing it. But the deeply in debt Texas was getting their asses kicked by Mexico. They'd basically written a check their asses couldn't cash. The United States finally allowed Texas to become a state in 1845 after almost 10 years of debate and still allowed them to have slaves for political reasons that I can't really wrap my head around. I think it was a pussy move on the United States' part especially with the Civil War only less than 20 years away. Ugh, this is complicated. During the Civil War, San Antonio fought for the Confederacy. Big surprise. Which meant they were seceding again in 1861. And the Alamo even became a garrison that funneled goods for the Confederacy through Mexico. But shocker, they lost. So after 35 years of Texas shenanigans over slavery, they still got emancipated. And Texas took this very well. <laughs> Just kidding. It was the same old stuff, indentured servitude, sharecropping. A lot of former slaves moved to the north. Alamo Brewing Company opened in San Antonio, Texas in 1874. It would go on to become Lone Star Brewing Company Lone Star Beer is the national beer of Texas. Now, how do you have a national beer if you're not a nation? Ugh, Texas. In the 1970s, country singer Willie Nelson made a shocking discovery. He discovered that he was spending tens of thousands of dollars on beer every year for his stage crew and for backstage. Listen, I'm a rock and roll roadie. I'm on a crew of nine people. And we can drink a bunch of beer, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that in the 70s, during Willie's absolute heyday, his crew was quite a bit bigger and quite a bit boozier. It was the 70s, after all, and it was country music. But one report says $90,000 a year on beer. That's insanity. So Lone Star Beer approached Willie and struck up an informal deal. He would drink Lone Star with his band on stage and Lone Star would provide free beer to him and his band and crew as much as they wanted. You better believe Willie Nelson had a Lone Star Beer in his hand for 10 years. <laughs> Worked out great for everybody. I've actually had Lone Star, it's delicious. In 1909, 
Joan Crawford was born, dirt poor in San Antonio. She's a major drinker, you guys. She was one of the most famous people in Hollywood in her time. She made 80 films, won an Oscar, and she also kept a flask of vodka in her purse. This flask almost got her fired from her one episode of The Lucy Show, when, for some reason, Lucille Ball, snooping around, found the flask inside Joan's purse in 1968. As Crawford got older, it was reported she drank more and more 100-proof vodka. She kept a refrigerator for vodka in her bathroom and drank it without mixers on the rocks. She said her drinking started getting really serious during the filming of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in 1962. Her relationship with alcohol is the stuff of legends. At the end of her life, she spent her days drinking and yelling at the television before health issues forced her to stop the vodka three years before her death. Her biggest adversary, Betty Davis, once said, the best time I ever had with Joan Crawford was pushing her down the stairs and whatever happened to baby Jane. Her legendary relationship with her daughter, Christina, included Crawford taking over for her daughter, blind drunk on her daughter's soap opera when Christina had a medical emergency in 1968. Now, in all fairness, I listened to the audio of this performance. That's all that's left of it. And this escapade, although I think I heard her slurring her words a little bit, her performance was still pretty darn good. She's quoted in an interview in the 1970s as saying, yes, I have a drinking problem. I really think alcoholism is one of the occupational hazards of being an actor, being a widow, and being alone. I am all three. I'd like to think it began with Al Alfred's death, but I'm afraid it began well before that. Joan passed away at her home in New York in 1977. San Antonio is great. Visit the Riverwalk. It's gorgeous. And there are 114 bars and restaurants along that two-mile strip of river path. You can even drink while you walk along the river, but don't fall in. <laughs> From the headlines, Drunken Dummies in San Antonio News Stories. Claiming he was intoxicated and did not know what he was doing when he escaped from the state penitentiary at Huntsville, September 23rd, Eddie Shannon, 22, yesterday surrendered to the Sheriff's Office of Bexar County. <laughs> 1935. Johnny Rodriguez, Latin and country singer, claims that in 1969, at the age of 18, drunk with his friends, in San Antonio and hungry for action, he and his buddies wrestled three goats for a barbecue. <laughs> and being drunk, careless, and loud, they were caught by the police. That was from an article in 1977 about the singer in a local San Antonio paper. Everett Johnson of West Poplar Street was tried before a jury and found guilty of possessing marijuana. The charge arose from the defendant being drunk and marijuana was found on his person. A sentence of five years in prison was given by the judge in 1968. Oh my God. Three women, all in their 20s, were allegedly intoxicated when they were caught on camera boarding a school bus full of children. 
The unconventional riders were seen slipping past the bus driver and taking two seats in the back of the bus, one of them sitting next to a middle school boy for the 30-minute commute. The women are facing charges of public intoxication, and the bus driver has been fired. 2015. J. Henretti, a white man, was drunk at Sunset Depot, and after clearing out of his own house, came over to Violet Mullins's house and threw a smoothing iron at her, breaking her nose. He was fined $10. 1885. Three men in a Volkswagen failed to stop when ordered to do so by federal police, who began firing. It turned out the men were only drunk. One was shot in the hand. 1975. If you or someone you know has a drinking problem, reach out to someone. Or even to me, I'll try to help with resources if I can. Check out my Facebook page, Please Drink Responsibly, A Drinker's Guide to American History, for photos of the characters in this story. Theme music provided by Hank Famo, available on SoundCloud. See you next time. Till then, please drink responsibly.